is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, week 16 in the NFL, showdowns, mowdowns, and hoedowns. What can we take from what happened on the field with a variety of results? The Steelers saved their season with a second half to remember for betters and fans alike. Jared Goff takes the blame for the Rams' loss in the NFC West showdown. The Chiefs are fooling around. The sweet comfort of betting against Anthony Lynn. No wide receivers. Big problems for Baker. And J.J. Watt fires up the troops two hours too late. Plus, was Titans-Packers a showdown game or a hoedown game? It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, flying solo today. Sheldon Alexander is still under the weather, so we're just going to have to talk about these games, just me and you. Uh, Sunday didn't go as well as Saturday, right? A little bit of a losing day relative to Saturday's winning day, so it ends up being pretty split this entire week. One play tonight, Buffalo minus seven will decide whether we are up for the week or a little bit down for the week. Either way, not a huge deal. Where it hurts here is a split week in the Circa Million contest. 2-2-1 two, two, and one in Circa Million this week, so it looks like we're going to fall just short of the top 50 this year. You know, obviously kind of disappointing here. We need a 5-0 and oh this coming weekend, this coming Sunday, and a ton of help on an unusual, weird Week 17. We'll talk about those plays, of course, on Sunday morning. Probably going to end up being a lot of sort of contrarian stuff, maybe having to take some bad lines in some spot. A ton of game theory in Week 17 relative to our position. Last year in the Super Contest, we were up in the top 20, top 30, and so you're sort of jockeying for position, but you don't want to quote-unquote give it all away. You want to play the Sunday game so that you kind of know where you're at going into your final pick. All of those things don't really apply when you're chasing. You do have to find the spots where people um, aren't that interested in some of these teams. And of course, there will be a ton based on how everything kind of works here. Week 16 had some elements of, of week 17 with teams that you're not really sure what their motivation necessarily is. We'll get into all of those games in a second. But let's start with one of the showdown games. We talked about it on Sunday. Showdown, mowdown, or hoedown. This one was sort of, this is a showdown game because both teams are trying for something, but in reality, they didn't really have all that much to play for. So in a way, it was a little bit hoedown where everybody was just out in the snow trying to have a good time, right? Wasn't do or die for Tennessee, certainly wasn't do or die for Green Bay as everything that happened ended up shaping it so that week 17 was going to matter to Green Bay no matter what. And so the handicap in this game and how it ended up playing out ended up kind of being the exact easiest way to handicap a game kind of the most basic handicap actually kind of worked out here which you know a lot of times we kind of have our ears up and our eyes open about these sorts of things but the most basic way to handicap this game was Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers and their offense knows how to play in snow and does Tennessee and you know at minus three for Green Bay like it's a pretty good number to back Green Bay at, at any given time against anyone especially at home but you throw in snow covered field and all of a sudden that gives you a really good excuse to grab green bay so green bay ends up covering easily we end up getting a winner there with one of our best bets so that was nice and you know you watch this game and you go okay well green bay what do they do defensively to stop derrick henry well you saw it 
right? Six line, six guys on the line, eight guys in the box, all of that stuff, horse to handle to beat you. And you see, even into the fourth quarter, like Vrabel's still running Henry. And it's just like, man, they will establish the run right to the bitter end. Like they will not change their plan because when the plan changes, that's when Tannehill can get a little loose with the football. And you saw a couple of interceptions happen. And so they stick with the plan no matter what. And it was first down run for three yards, second down run for four yards, and then third and three, third and four, hope for the best. Green Bay getting off the field quite a bit. And of course, scoring early and often in this one. We don't talk about fantasy football because it's literally the most boring thing ever because we're all in different leagues. But if we did, we'd talk about Devontae Adams coming through in the clutch for me last night against A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. So shout out to Devontae for that one. But the lesson, as always, no one cares about your fantasy team. So let's go back and talk about week 16. Let's go back to Saturday. I don't really need to say that much about Friday's game, but Saturday's game's uh had a couple of interesting sort of lessons to them or, you know, anecdotes, if you will, right? And I think Detroit and Tampa Bay, for as much as that was a blowout and never in, uh, you know, never in doubt if you were on the spread at any point, interesting potential butterfly effect type game, right? Sliding doors type of game. How one play early on changes the course of the rest of the game because you just don't know what's going to happen. And maybe there's a chance that somebody out there knew something, but we'll get into that in a second. But Tampa Bay goes and they basically run Detroit up and down the field. Tom Brady throws for 300 yards in the first half and you're just like, holy, like Detroit could not be any worse. This is just atrocious. But you forget that they actually got off the field and there was a five second period where they were headed to fourth down on that first drive in the first sequence, the first set of downs in that first drive, only to be called for an offside penalty, which of course extends the drive and Tampa Bay goes down and scores. And then everything after that, both from just a time of day, at what point in the game, and et cetera, et cetera, like changes everything going forward. So does Matt Stafford end up getting hurt if that still happens, right? Like obviously the play sequence is different. All of the things sort of just go differently. And I would say like, maybe he doesn't, maybe he does. The interesting thing for me here is that the steam in the line, right? And from a betting perspective, this is the more most important thing because maybe if Matt Stafford plays that entire game, maybe they end up covering plus 12 and a half, which is, you know, sort of where that number ended up going, even up to 13 at certain parts. But that number was eight and a half throughout much of the week, even nine and a half. And so anybody could have grabbed that on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, right after the game between the Vikings and the Saints, but they didn't, right? It was game time steam. So I'm here proposing that somebody knew something about Matt Stafford's ability to play, and the fact that that relatively innocuous play resulted in him leaving the game immediately and not coming back, I think really sort of says something about maybe some inside information out there on what might be the situation with Stafford's health. Now, we were obviously been concerned about Stafford's health for weeks now, but it was never really an ankle, right? A lot of sort of rib cage, cartilage, all of that kind of stuff, you know, some concussion issue, et cetera, even COVID at one point. But there's never really anything about an ankle. But you see this number shoot up. We don't, no matter what, how bad one team is and how good we think another team is, the line doesn't often shoot from eight and a half up to 13 
especially on game day. And so sort of wondering about that, about how things may have been different and about how much people may have known that are controlling this market. Because let's be honest, right? Big money controls this market. So you might say, well, the public love Tampa Bay because they're bet the favorite and all of that sort of thing. Like, sure, that happens all the time and the, and the number doesn't move. In this case, this thing moved and then within one series, Matt Stafford was out for this game. So very kind of something there to make you wonder a little bit. Uh, San Francisco and Arizona, right? Again, not a ton to talk about here. Um, it's just the Cardinals, right? Look, we've been fading the Cardinals. And listen, you could go around and say, like, I'm fading blank team this year. We could do that next year. We could fade the Cardinals. You could fade the Dolphins. You can fade the Chargers, whoever you want. And then you're going to be right eight times <laughs> during the season. You can pat yourself on the back for being sort of correct in that spot because, again, Arizona had covered the previous two games. Now, we saw yesterday that maybe this Eagles team isn't all that it's necessarily cracked up to be, and we shouldn't be that impressed by the Cardinals, and certainly we weren't last week. Talked about how we were one sort of fingertip catch away from that game being a three-point game instead of a seven-point game, and of course the week before was against the Giants, and literally, again, nothing that we've seen from the Giants with a quote-unquote healthy Daniel Jones or not is anything that we need to be getting excited about. So again, Cardinals here, but can they get into the playoffs? And it's interesting because and we'll talk about the Rams here, but this matchup against the Rams this coming week is interesting because it might allow the Cardinals into the playoffs, at which point we might get, well, first of all, we're going to get to bet against the Cardinals in the playoffs, which I think is phenomenal news. And we might get a little extra when it comes to value when we do so. So let's keep an eye on that. Uh, and then finally, Miami and Las Vegas. And listen, everybody knows that end of that game was a complete mess. At the end of the day, Tua as a road favorite does not make any sense. Didn't make any sense before that game. It's why Vegas was a best bet, even though Vegas isn't exactly anything that we're getting too excited about either. But at plus three, it just goes to show classic example of getting value and then just kind of hoping for the best, right? Like knowing that that game should have been a pick because you can't make Tua a favorite on the road and you certainly can't get too excited about Vegas, especially after the Charger game where they were three and a half point favorites, right? It was the same thing. Ridiculous that they were three and a half point favorites in that game. Ridiculous that they were three point underdogs in this game. That being said, people just lining up to bet Miami almost got away with it. Right? They almost got away with it. If there was a touchdown late there to put the Raiders up, or excuse me, to put the Dolphins up four, um, when they had to, the Dolphins had to settle for a field goal to tie the game, you know, who knows, right? Who knows how the rest of that game plays out? At any rate, like, that's the point. That's why we're supposed to be getting as much value as we can, because there isn't, you know, for most of these games, there isn't a right side or a wrong side, or this team's definitely going to win, or that team's definitely going to win, right? It's all hindsight, right? I could say, oh, of course, Green Bay won. Like, yeah, Snow, Green Bay, Tennessee's not going to like it, you know, all of that type of thing. But at the end of the day, it's, okay, well, what are the, what gives us the most opportunity to win this game? How are we going to win this game 55 to 60% of the time? Well, if the Dolphins are favored by three points on the road against any functional team, the answer is probably, you know, just taking the underdog in that situation. Now, who knows what the line's going to be? Should they go on the road, uh, you know, in the playoffs? They're obviously not going to be favored, so that's sort of thrown out the out the window. If we get some value on them being like seven and a half point, you know, road underdogs to 
you know, what the Steelers, something along those lines, like maybe we're a little bit more interested in that. So we hope for the best. We end up getting the best as far as, you know, obviously Dolphins win, don't cover. That's kind of the backup plan, right? Like the win by one or two, you know, we kind of thought that the Raiders were going to win the game. If the game had been pick I probably would have bet the Raiders wouldn't have been necessarily a best bet because there wouldn't have been all the value, but I would have still taken the Raiders at home and we would have ended up losing that game on that John Gruden disaster at the end. As for Sunday, 1 p.m. slate, let's get into it. Colts and Steelers. You watch this game, and for the entire first half, betting on the Steelers, you feel like an idiot, right? You're watching this game, you're going, especially the first drive. <laughs> the first drive is the exact same every time. Three short passes, you know, at least two of them get deflected or don't connect, and it's a three and out. And the one thing that you need from a first sequence like that, knowing that the Colts are going to get the ball at the start of the second half, you know, you lose the coin toss, you have to take the ball in that first series, you got to at least get a first down to flip field position. So it gives yourself, gives your defense a chance to make a play and turn it back around so that you actually benefit by stopping the Colts. In this case, they don't do that, right? And of course, the Colts go and they take the lead, strike a couple of different ways, long drives, short plays with long play, with long passes, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you're sitting there going like, man, 24-7, like what a dope. And then, of course, same thing in a way coming out in that second half as they did on Monday night against Cincinnati. They come out and it's like, okay, the offense, we got Roethlisberger throwing deep all of a sudden. Like, where was that in the first half? Where was that against Cincinnati? Where was that basically for the last month? And Deontay Johnson actually catches one. You're like, where was that? Anyway, point is, is of course, they come back, they win the game, and we get that ticket home and you just go man you know what i shouldn't be betting the steelers here i should be betting the steelers live at some point right because if they're going to have this trend of bad first halves maybe this is something that we have to look at in the playoffs so if there's ever a point where we're like you know what i think steelers you know there's value on the steelers etc etc kind of doesn't matter because if they're going to struggle in first quarters and in this case second quarters as well why wouldn't we just wait and see I mean, we'll see what the matchups are. These are all conversations for a later date. Why we like the Steelers? Well, you know, Phillip Rivers against the defense, pressure, all of that sort of thing. They were, and I mean they by the Steelers, they were in it because of that early touchdown that the defense forced on a fumble by Phillip Rivers. Now, listen, the Steelers offense almost gacked that up and forced them into a field goal, but 24 nothing considerably different than 24-7. We've talked about it all season. 17-point leads in the NFL are evaporating at an alarming rate. And that was just one of many situations this season where that has happened. Again, live bet probably should have been for uh, the best there. Romo and Nance. I want to talk about these two guys just talking about how, oh, everybody just bashing the Steelers as if we weren't correct the entire time. Listen... Even if in the most sort of basic fandom way, we're all just reacting to what we see. We're not inventing things here. We've just watched the Steelers for the last month, month and a half. You could make the case the entire season, but people liked a little bit of what they saw earlier on. But you watch these games and you're like, I'm not making this up. We're not making, just because they made this comeback in the second half to win this game, to arguably save their season, to be completely honest, like doesn't mean that we were wrong the whole time. So, I mean, 
I hate to say it, but Tony Romo, kind of losing me. Kind of losing me, Tony. Uh, Giants and the Ravens. And this is, you know, we should have known better, right? It's the bully Ravens. It doesn't matter. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter how high you put the point spread, but it doesn't matter if you're getting 11 and the line goes to 10 and dips into 9.5 and, and the Ravens only score 27. And if you're getting 11 points, you know, we talked about if we could hold them to 20, we'd cover. And we could have, but the Giants couldn't. And so it's the bully Ravens. And are we going to get sucked in here over the last few weeks, right? They'll probably come out and smash the Bengals next week. And it's going to be like, oh, killed the Bengals, killed the Giants, killed the Jaguars, you know, go on and so on and so forth. And then we'll get to the playoffs and we'll be wondering like why we bet on Lamar Jackson. So I think looking forward to the playoffs here should be interesting to see what kind of a matchup we get with the Ravens on the road against a potentially good team. Again, depends on where they are seated, but let's not get too sucked into this because let's be honest, that back door was wide open a couple of different times for the Giants. And in 2020, you do kind of expect when it's a 17-point game, when it's a 14-point game late, to get that last touchdown. And the fact that the Giants couldn't do it really says more about the Giants than it does about the Ravens. And part of it was Daniel Jones still not mobile. And so they keep running him out there as a guy who can't run. And that's part of his deal, right? He has to be elusive. He has to, they have to run plays where he keeps it and he takes off. And we were frankly probably one good run, one good scramble from a backdoor touchdown. I don't mean him running at 60 yards for a backdoor touchdown, but just to pick up a first down. You see it all the time, whether it's, you know, the Dolphins against the, you know, Kansas City Chiefs where Tua takes off and gets a first down. Like, you know, something like that this day and age, like the quarterback has to be mobile. And Daniel Jones just isn't that right now. Is that going to change for the Dallas game here coming up? I find that hard to believe. And so, again, we'll see later on the week where we want to land on that game. But again, if you're going to keep running Daniel Jones out there, I thought they'd learn their lesson, but they didn't. And so I don't believe that they're going to learn it going forward here with a do-or-die game on Sunday. Atlanta and Kansas City, Chiefs just effing around. just ne and, and next level effing around, right? If Sheldon was here on the podcast, we would be talking about this at length and just sort of laughing about how overvalued this team is from a point spread standpoint but of course they win the game they find ways to win the game because they are just better than everybody else but like at what point is it going to cost them and is it going to cost them in the playoffs is that going to be an issue like fourth and one and they run what was it watkins to Mahomes, who was not wide open by any stretch of the imagination. And frankly, that play, you know, if the Falcons had a brain, I think they ended up scoring a touchdown on the subsequent drive, so it didn't really matter. But, like, knock that ball down. It's fourth down. Like, back when I was in grade six and we used to play in the at recess and it was fourth down, we knew on fourth down to just knock the ball down to take the yardage. Anyway, point is, is, like, that's your fourth and one play? Like, that's just the epitome of just dicking around. I've heard people call it playing with their food, right? Like, it's just so ridiculous that they go and do this all the time. Because if it, w it wasn't for a dropped interception by Terrell, the rookie corner from the Falcons, the Chiefs lose that game. Now, again, would it make a difference? Like, they're going to end up as the number one seed, even if they had lost that game, right? They'd probably go and win next week because they'd have their full contingent of players. 
But what if they don't win that game, right? And they have to play next week. And maybe Joey Bosa's back. And maybe he lands on Patrick Mahomes in a bad way, right? Like, this is the type of stuff that the, the type of fire that they've been playing with when it comes to these insane play calls and just general lackadaisical attitude with regards to, like, oh, we can just turn it on whenever we want. And, of course, they get away with it because they get that touchdown, right? Like, he drops the interception, they get a second chance, they get the touchdown. And strangely enough, the Falcons' most reliable player, Yungwei Koo, misses the tying field goal. The Chiefs win the game. Game in general may have cost Mahomes the MVP, which, of course, not that interesting if you just care about the MVP for whatever reason, but this is a betting market. This is a betting market that we were involved in. Unfortunately, we weren't involved in Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. We were in door number three, Russell Wilson. Again, one of the best bets I made all year. That was 9-1 to one and was minus 150 six weeks into the season. That's long gone. But the point is, if you're sitting there with Patrick Mahomes, hearing people tell you, oh, it's Patrick Mahomes no matter what, da-da-da-da, the number went to like minus 1,000, something along those lines, or at least minus 500 um, that I saw. And like, what if you got suckered into that? talk as like he's a guaranteed you know mvp blah 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 and you laid that big of a price thinking that it was this guarantee with three weeks to go and then you're watching collinsworth and michaels talk about how aaron Rodgers is a lock to win the mvp and you're just like what happened and it's like well the chiefs just kind of effed around for the last three or four weeks they're going to finish 15 and one frankly i think they're actually going to finish 14 and two because i think the chargers beat them this weekend because they're not going to start Mahomes, and, and obviously they don't even really care about these games to begin with. So just sort of funny to watch this sort of MVP market kind of fall apart, and now Aaron Rodgers, the favorite as of this Monday. Uh, no MVPs involved in this game. Cleveland and the Jets talked about this game as a game I didn't want anything to do with from a survivor standpoint. Most popular survivor pick, admittedly, people selecting that in the Circus Survivor didn't know at the time that COVID would ravage the wide receiver group of Cleveland. And again, this just this whole thing just keeps getting more and more random on Saturday nights. Like, what position group is going to get taken out by COVID? And it's like, um wide receivers and Browns are the two matchups. And uh, okay, that, those those guys are out. And you're like, what? Browns wide receivers this week? Like, what happened to last week when it was Ravens defensive backs? Or two weeks ago when it was Denver quarterbacks? Like, who knows, right? It's literally like just throwing a pink Plinko chip or spinning a wheel and having a couple of different combos come up to find out who's getting knocked out. And like, this is going to happen in the playoffs? Like, really? Like, we're just going to go Saturday night. Who is it? Who is it? Steelers defensive line. Oh, sorry, Steelers defensive line. You're out for this game. Like, oh, okay. I guess I, I guess that's just the end of our season then. So who knows what's going to happen. That being said, Mayfield throws 50 times. And I don't think that was all just because of game script. I watched that, you know, first half of that game, much of that, much of that first half anyway. And he was throwing a lot, finding all the tight ends that he could find. A lot of throws to guys I'd never heard of, practice squad wide receivers. And when you've got Kareem Hunt and you've got Nick Chubb, maybe those guys should get more than 10 carries each, right? Let's try to feed them a little bit. And I know the Jets' run defense is actually pretty okay, 
but let's trust that those guys are going to be able to wear them down a little bit. A Jets team that, again, shouldn't really have all that much incentive to win. Funny thing is, right, they won that game, go to two, two straight wins. I kind of think they're going to finish the season with three straight wins here because I think they're beating the Patriots next week. Uh, we talked about value of uncertainty with regards to the money line, right? So we're on the Jets money line because we're like, what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to figure out what the value is from both a point spread standpoint? We, you know, I was told you I was sitting on plus 10, six goes down to six, six and a half, kind of hangs around, toggles back and forth through there because people just didn't know, right? You could tease, you could tease Cleveland down a little bit if you wanted to, to essentially, even, but like, yeah, like that's good value if you're expecting sort of rational coaching from the Browns. And unfortunately, that's not what you got either. And so when you're looking at a plus 250 money line for a team that's completely missing part of what they do, which of course is throwing the football, and of course then they decide to throw it 50 times, doesn't make a ton of sense. So um, you're sort of waiting for the Baker Mayfield come down to earth game. We talked about how... Uh, you know, basically on point, like the precision with which he played against the Giants. And we talked about that from a Giants standpoint going, okay, what are we going to get here from the Giants opponent in Baltimore? And, you know, talked about it from that angle. But in this case, it's like, okay, well, really, how can the Browns be that pinpoint accurate the following week? And then, of course, you throw out the receivers who had talked about catching everything in sight in that Sunday night game. And now it's just practice squad guys. So what was the expectation if you're going to throw the ball 50 times in that one? Really, is it on Baker Mayfield? Is it on the coaching? Probably a combination of the two. That being said, they get the fortune this week of going up against the Steelers who make the comeback. They win. Great news for Cleveland because now Pittsburgh not going to care about this game coming up against Cleveland. Cleveland, a touchdown plus favorite. Cincinnati and Houston. This one, really only notable from a non-betting standpoint or just from a sort of pop culture standpoint, is the J.J. Watt clip at the end. So if you haven't seen it, go back and check that out. But essentially, Cole's notes is he's sort of talking about how much the fans care and why the fans are what this team should be playing for, what all professional football players should be playing for, because he's frankly admitting that the Texans completely phoned in that game. At least their defense did, because the offense still showed up. The offense still scored enough points that should have allowed them to win this game, should have allowed them to even cover the minus seven spread that I was on. I was on minus seven. I would have accepted the teaser leg being able to cash in this one. Neither could they do because again the Texans defense did not show up Brandon Allen throwing it all over the yard now you and I we've all seen Brandon Allen play over the last four weeks with obviously except the exception of last week with it being Ryan Finley and boy did I miss Ryan Finley but who's to say Ryan Finley wouldn't have had a decent enough day as well because again the Texans were allowing whatever Cincinnati wanted to just dump off to Gio Bernard right he had like seven eight some odd catches just anything they wanted to do, the Texans were more than happy to oblige. And that's, of course, incredibly disappointing. And the thing that we were worried about going into that game, having competed against the Colts, right? Are they only going to care about these divisional matchups? And so the bad news is, is you've got J.J. Watt essentially calling out his team. I'd like to think maybe himself in this a little bit as well. I do, in general, have some skepticism about J.J. Watt and his general thirstiness. But, you know, he's calling out the team. And they've got a divisional matchup this coming week against Tennessee, right? They can ruin it for Tennessee. Now, is that going to get them up? Is that going to even matter? Is a Week 17 game against Derrick Henry just getting hit in the face the entire game? Is that something they're going to want to do? 
I'm going to say it's probably not, but the bad news is that line is going to be inflated as such that you're going to have to pay a real tax here to go with the Titans in that one. So the clip, interesting. We'll see what kind of effect it has on the rest of the team. Uh, speaking of teams that just completely gave up, the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Chicago Bears. Now this is, you know, this is sort of the on-field version of my skepticism or sort of what I'm wondering about with regards to that Detroit Lions line and Matt Stafford's injury and who knew what. Because I'm skeptical of the team that's tied at halftime who is supposed to lose their entire franchise kind of revolving around whether they get Trevor Lawrence at this point, right? Whether it's a potential move to London. And if there was anything that happened here with regards to this NFL season, it's that if we can do this season the way that we just did it, there can be a team in London. I don't know if that sort of makes sense, but like if we can be that sort of loose with the schedule, with travel, with protocols, all of that kind of thing, we can do all these different things. It's like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we can shift things around to have a team in London. And you know, that's what Shad Khan, the owner for the Jacksonville Jaguars wants to do. And if there was ever time to do it, it's when you get a star quarterback like Trevor Lawrence to bring people into the mix. So the point is, is like they desperately need to lose. But the bad news is it's 10-10 at halftime. And we talked about how that line was too high, right? Seven and a half goes to eight and a half. And in any other NFL game at 10-10 at halftime, you're feeling pretty good about seven and a half, eight and a half points. Bad news is the Jaguars don't want to win. Now, I don't know. I can't necessarily pinpoint to one specific thing and be like, this is what he, you know, this is why this guy did this, this guy did this. Like, was Mike Glennon throwing some of those atrocious interceptions on purpose? Like, that seems unlikely, or maybe it's just a Mike Glennon thing, and that's why he was put in instead of Gardner Minshew, right? Who knows what's going on, right? Like, this conspiracy theory is, right? Like, Doug Marone promises Mike Lennon the backup quarterback job next year to Trevor Lawrence, and they'll get rid of Gardner Minshew, and like, blah, 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 and like, all you have to do is make sure we don't win this game. If I was somebody who's getting multi-million dollars a year and was kind of on the fringe of that career... I'd be willing to do just about anything to keep that going. And so maybe it was, hey, play your heart out in the first half and then screw it up in the second half. Or maybe just the Bears were that bad in the first half and were that good in the second half. I don't know. Point is, is like I have to be skeptical when I see that level of disinterest in a second half in a game that you are competitive in that is a tie game at halftime so we'll see how inflated that line is right as now we you know they've clinched this last spot here right they are on the clock as they say so it's going to be interesting to see who plays quarterback for example in week 17 i'd be willing to bet that gardner Minshew is going to be playing quarterback again for the jags and that could easily be brushed off as well we don't you know mike glennon wasn't great and da 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 right but like why was mike glennon in there over gardner Minshew in the first place Right? Um, do, are we going to see James Robinson come back in here? And so, what's that line going to be? Is this like my line is Indy minus 13 in this game? Is it going to be higher? Right? We're going to see across the board inflation in some of these mow down games in week 17. And of course, Indy and Jacksonville certainly uh, qualifies. Bears look like a different team in the second half. And that doesn't really help us try to figure out their legitimacy for the game against Green Bay. Because again, 
right? Is it because they were necessarily that much better in the second half? Was that the real version of the Bears? The the version of the Bears that beat the Vikings, beat the Texans, again, who just lost to Cincinnati, like all of these teams that are sort of in the trash here, that's what we're grading the Bears against, coming up against a Packers team that still needs to win to secure the first overall seed and a bye week, right? A week off here. This is not a little thing. This is a big thing when it comes to the the Packers. So are we going to get some value on the road here with the Packers at something under a touchdown? I think that might be the case, and I think we sort of have to hold our nose and and roll with that. Again, we'll see how things play out through the rest of the week. Uh, Best part about all of these games, you know, spread out, is that you get sort of a much better look at all these teams before the playoffs now there's gonna be chaos on week 17 and this is the perfect nfl thing where you're watching those games and there's six games going on in week 16 in the one o'clock window and kind of none of them are all that great right pittsburgh ends up coming back so that ends up being interesting you know i you find yourself at four o'clock going like oh cincinnati houston's close and like like watching that game but like beyond that it's sort of like looking and hoping for backdoor covers over in baltimore you know that you know the Cleveland and the Jets game I guess was sort of interesting but like I don't know never really felt like Cleveland was going to win that game I guess you know obviously they had a final drive to tie the game and that got a little bit interesting but you know you're sort of sitting there maybe even 315 going like okay which which one of these games are going to be the really interesting game and a couple of them end up being that way but the point is is like when there's only six games you realize how easy it is for these games to not be very exciting, for this product to show itself as being not very good. And we talk about that all the time. And when you have all these standalone games, right, you have to slog through Tampa Bay, Detroit. And sure, Miami and Vegas is like outstanding, but even Minnesota and New Orleans, pretty big snoozer, right? And so this Sunday is, you know, part of the reason I think that they put all these games all on at the same time. And it's going to be some seven, six, eight six type of split i don't know if my math is right on that. i guess there'd be 16 games and one game on sunday night so eight seven right eight seven nine six type of a split and it's like all these garbage games are going to get buried there's going to be two or three really outstanding games really outstanding finishes that everybody's going to gravitate to and be like oh and like all the math that's going on and of course kornacki's going crazy and you still don't really know who's got to do what next week and we're going to need a whole week to kind of figure that out and you know schedule hasn't even been like built yet as far as what teams are going to play when, because we need to make sure that this team can't play before this team. Point is, we're going to get there, and it's going to be all crazy, and like, oh, yeah, this team needs to win, but, like, this team also needs to win. Meanwhile, like, the games themselves aren't actually all that good. So it's, like, this perfect week 17 of just, like, let's throw all the games on at the exact same time, and, uh, yeah, people are going to be entertained. They're going to find it entertaining one way or another. And some weeks, it's just absolutely brutal. Some week 17s, and other week 17s is actually really exciting. Um, So... You know, the fun part about this past week is like, yeah, we got to see these individual teams and maybe Tampa Bay got a little overvalued by how easy it was against Detroit. Maybe, you know, we at least saw what we need to see out of Arizona so that if they win this week, go into the playoffs and people get Kyler Murray horny, then like (laughs) we'll have seen what we needed to see from them. Same sort of thing with Green Bay and Tennessee and even potentially Buffalo tonight. And again, being able to watch some of these games a little bit more closely, even in the one o'clock window, also very interesting, right? Like, are we going to be fooled into anything from Pittsburgh's standpoint? Are we now sort of seeing some, you know, uh, 
chinks in the armor here from the Colts, all of these sorts of games that might have been sort of swept under the rug in a nine-game slate, we were able to keep more closely an eye on, especially also from a props standpoint. So um, you get a better idea of who's important to what team, what they do, and how they do it. Uh, Four o'clock games. Rams in Seattle. Let's start there, right? Because this was the showdown game. Winner takes the division, right? Like very sort of perfect NFL type setup. And as much as maybe... Well, they certainly did. As much as Detroit lost in the first quarter, as much as there was a winner and a loser in the Tampa Bay-Detroit game, there was no winners and no losers in the first quarter in the first half of the Rams and the Seahawks. And frankly, the real loser at this point was Jared Goff because... I got to tell you, I really think the Rams should have won that game and they should have had that. I don't say they won, should have won that game in the first half, but they certainly should have had a lead, right? Some incredibly bad decision-making and bad throws from Jared Goff in that first half. So, of course, everybody watching that game goes, okay, let's, let's blame Jared Goff. Jared Goff's the worst. And I'm not saying that he's not. We know what Jared Goff is at this point in time. But the game turned late, right? It turned on the fourth and goal, the goal line stop. First and goal from essentially the one, two-ish yard line, and the Rams can't get that in. And do we blame Jared Goff for that? I mean, the answer to that is probably, yeah, a little bit, but like maybe, right? And so, you know, unable to run the football in, right? Like that was a thing that a couple of years ago, if the Rams were down at the goal line, it was over, right? The Tom, Todd, Tom, Todd Gurley at his peak was running that football in 100% of the time. And if not him, right, there was going to be enough there to scare teams into thinking that he is going to run it in and they'd run a play-action pass or something along those lines. Now, no Cam Akers in this game. You know, he's clearly the best running back. And we have, you know, this tendency sometimes to go, okay, like this three-headed backfield or this three-headed monster. Like we do it with Baltimore, right? Like the three-headed monster. And that's like, yeah, but Mark Ingram's washed. And so it's not really a three-headed monster. Like, it's kind of like Jacob Dobbins is really good. Uh, and then, you know, like, I guess Gus Edwards is pretty good. Uh, and then, like, Mark Ingram gets, like, three carries a game or, in this case, like, ceases to be even involved in the game. Same kind of thing with the Rams, right? Like, is it a three-headed monster or is it just like, well, Cam Akers is a pretty good rookie that has some, you know, developing a little bit to do and has certainly shown it before getting injured. Obviously, maybe durability might be a question mark as well. And then just kind of two other guys that nobody's all that afraid of. What about play calling? Like, Jared Goff on a sneak? Like, I know the quarterback sneak is the most efficient way to gain one yard in short yardage. But, like, look at Jared Goff. Is that a guy that you want to trust sort of pushing the pile, not even pushing the pile, but sort of like weaseling his way in there, ball security. Like he clearly fumbled the football just because it was a QB sneak situation and nobody could tell who got the ball. Like doesn't make it any better. And then of course they're running back on fourth down, right? He has a lane. He has a lane to get into the end zone, but he kicks it out a little bit further and allows himself to get tackled in that spot. And so you know, if he scores that touchdown, do we ever, I mean, yeah, we would still be like Jared Goff, still pretty brutal, but like Jared Goff's always still pretty brutal. And so would we still be just beating him up about it? Of course, then he goes and he breaks his thumb and, you know, dislocates his thumb and he plays through it. And it's like, congratulations for being tough, Jared. But like, we kind of need a guy who can throw the ball here in this situation. So like maybe hop out. Now, they're going to have to pass this on to John Wofford. And I like John Wofford back at Wake Forest, teammate, by the way, of our friend Kendall Hinton, right? Old Kendall Hinton from the Denver Broncos, teammate at Wake Forest. Uh, 
but I never watched him in college and said, oh man, like, yeah, he's definitely going to be in the NFL. If you'd asked me, if you'd swung by and been like, hey, is this guy going to be in the NFL? I would have laughed. I'd have been like, no, he's not going to be in the NFL. What are you talking about? Kind of liked him, right? Mobile guy, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe a really smart guy. Maybe he can run the plays. Maybe he can do okay for the Rams. I just don't necessarily want to be trusting that with my money going forward. So we might be out on the Arizona Rams game because, you know, Again, depending on the line, maybe we don't want anything to do with the, the Rams, but we certainly don't necessarily love backing the Cardinals here, especially what might be an inflated price. Seahawks D looked good. What do you say, right? Like, I mean, they were helped, of course, by Jared Goff just floating balls directly to them or into sort of no man's land where somebody could run and grab it. Wasn't that thrilled with the Seahawks offense, of course. Like, that's not that surprising. But again, you keep getting these turnovers and things are eventually going to go your way. Uh, at the end of the day, it was all the defense making plays. Jamal Adams with a touchdown saving play, which was just absolutely ridiculous coming off of the off-ball side, uh, trailing the running back, diving and making a touchdown saving tackle which again i think that play turned the game i don't know that i mean listen it's the seahawks maybe they come and they tie the game um should the rams have gotten a touchdown or whatever obviously that was a critical juncture of that entire game philadelphia and dallas eagles super pop super popular play here and i just got taken off of it by the line move at minus one it would have been all about the eagles minus two still very much about the eagles and then it goes to minus three and we talked about on the show it's like do you just take the minus three here like how you know how are the eagles going to lose this game how is dallas going to get any stops against the eagles and i still kind of don't really know the answer to that to be completely honest with you um you know no Leighton van der esch for the cowboys and, you know, it's funny, like you watch that game and even though the Eagles late in that game are down 10 points, down 14 points, down whatever, you're still like, yeah, I still like this better than Carson Wentz. Like it's still just a better experience than when Carson Wentz is in there. For Dallas on offense, obviously things changed when Fletcher Cox went out of that game, right? Just another example of that interior line, you know, not being able to get the same pressure that they would with him in there wasn't like the Cowboys were gashing them on the ground though but like giving Andy Dalton enough time to just trust those receivers right Amari Cooper that you know there was a play early on where he just kind of threw it up in the air and it was up in the air for a really long time you're like why did he throw that up in the air so long he just trusted Cooper to go run and go get it happened a handful of times in the game there so Dalton ends up looking really good again not sure how Dallas's defense held up and so the Eagles are now eliminated but they got everything that they needed from a help standpoint right and so we talked about plus 700 being kind of an interesting NFC bet and I don't regret that because it was right like the Giants of course lose and, the, and Washington of course loses and and the Eagles are favored to beat the Cowboys and if they do now they've got a showdown game next week against the Washington football team and you know you watch this Washington football team and we'll get to that right now is that like you ever have it see a team as much of a mess be a favorite to win the division like after losing game after game here um I shouldn't say game after game but like who are they going to go to next week if Alex Smith can't go right we're talking about Taylor Henneke here uh guy who again is only on the team because he was on the Carolina Panthers with Ron Rivera. And when we're talking like fourth string quarterback, we got to bring in a guy who at least knows the plays. And of course he does. Now, is he going to get a win for them next week? That seems highly unlikely. Uh, easy Panthers win here. Once Haskins 
was named the starter. Uh, I should have added to my Panthers position at plus two and a half, so have some regrets that that wasn't a more um, you know relevant play. Should have you know again you, you read reports and it's like well Alex Smith maybe like he's trying to but he's trending not and you're like could you just announce that Haskins is in on Friday like everybody else does. And if that were the case, and if it was definitively Haskins, then yeah, Carolina probably ends up being a contest play for me, ends up being a best bet. So instead, it ends up just being a regular bet that I made, uh, you know, kind of on Sunday. Because again, Pickham shouldn't have mattered all that much because Carolina's going to win. Again, any team that's going that's playing Washington that has, when Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback, is going to win the game, right? Like that, it's just a matter of by how much. Uh Funny parts of that game were, you know, sort of outside of the field. Ian Eagle at the end hammers Haskins after he's pulled, saying that's it for him and his entire Washington football team career. I'd go on a limb and say probably his entire NFL career, because at what point, like, I mean, the talent, I suppose, is there, but is there anything that's wowing you about Haskins? I don't really think so. Uh, And earlier on in the game, Charles Davis, I tweeted about this yesterday, comically bad when it comes to trying to evaluate uh, different calls on the field. I'm just sitting there wondering, like, have you ever seen a football game where the quarterback fumbles? And sometimes these quarterback fumbles, right? As the arm going forward, open hand, closed hand, all of that stuff. Some of these are really difficult, like really tough, really close calls where you understand, okay, we're going to go with it on the field. And sometimes that doesn't feel, you know, like the right thing to do because a lot of times now, because we're supposed to just let the play go. And I'm all for that. I've been captain of the, can we just let the play go here? and see what happens with regards to fumble recovery and the return and all of that. Problem is, when it's really close and they don't want to change the call on the field, they just go with that. This one was not that. And Charles Davis couldn't have been more positive that it was going to be called a forward pass. But you're sitting there watching, and any idiot can go, he's knocked the ball out of the guy's hands, he's pushing it forward, sort of batting at it, volleyball style, that in every single game is a fumble. And I almost feel like Ian Eagle, who is such a good play-by-play guy, is kind of just sort of selling Charles Davis here. Just going like, yeah, totally, Charles. Like, yeah, I see it that way too. Because like, yeah, we're all going to sit here at home and make fun of Charles Davis. And we're going to give Ian Eagle the benefit of the doubt. And so he's just letting, <laughs> letting himself sort of hang himself out there. And then, yeah, the referee comes on. They're like, okay, this is definitely going to be a forward pass. And then the ref comes on. It's like, yeah, uh, no change in the call. Definitely a fumble, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, man, <laughs> like, of course. And he's acting like so shocked. And they're like, well, what they may have seen on the play. And it's like, what they may have seen on the play is exactly what happened on the play. And you completely missed the entire thing. So classic NFC East, right? Where Washington just feels like this lost team having lost a couple of games in a row here. Don't really know who their quarterback is. Maybe Taylor Henneke. And it's like, yeah, hosting a game for the uh, for the division or at least, you know, playing against the Eagles. All they do is win and they're in. Feels good. <laughs> like what? How did we get here with the NFC East? Uh, speaking of how do we get here? The AFC West, Denver and the Chargers here. And the sheer comfort of betting against Anthony Lynn even as he's got a 10, 13 point lead. And we're sitting there with plus three, so we're not even within one score of covering, but you're just sitting there going like, we're betting against Anthony Lynn. Like, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but we're going to be just fine. And so I go in at halftime, it's 13 to nothing. They're offering me plus seven and a half at like plus 120. I'm like, I am all over that. 
And I just sit back and you go, okay, like that's definitely going to cash. Don't really know how, don't really know why, but it's definitely going to cash. Then it's just a matter of, you know what, let's throw a little on the Broncos money line here at four to one just to see. And then we'll sort of hope that this thing lands three or we get this thing somehow within three. Maybe it gets to overtime, et cetera, et cetera. And sure enough, and it's so funny because like Vic Fangio gets carved on Twitter because he's down 13 in the fourth and he goes for the field goal to cut it to 10. And like, yeah, that's like objectively, that's a bad decision, right? Like just go for it. It was fourth and seven, I think. And you saw the Chargers go for it on fourth and eight. Like even Anthony Lynn's got it figured out from at least that standpoint. And you just go like, yeah, that's dumb. But here's the thing. When you're playing Anthony Lynn, if you can just be arm's length of him, you're probably going to get yourself an extra possession at some point right like you have because when you're down 13 you go for the field goal you're like okay well you're guaranteeing you know you are you sure you're getting two possessions left in this game are you positive that's going to happen and when you're going up against anthony lynn and shane steichen and their play calling you got to be like yeah i actually am pretty confident that we're going to get those opportunities and so they kicked the field goal and i was like listen part of it was i had a plus seven and a half that if they kick this field goal i now know that like the back door for plus seven and a half is certainly available if we're at plus you know we're down 10 we're certainly possible to get within three here with a backdoor touchdown and not only and so i'm like i'm just warm with how easy this is going to feel and then it happens and it's not like anything catastrophic happened right like it wasn't nobody no punts got blocked no kicks went awry nothing create no punt returns got taken to the house nothing insane happened it was just sort of a systematic poor play calling execution you know somebody dropping a pass you know this that or whatever maybe a play that we've run 10 times already all of a sudden doesn't work unbelievable right and then it's tied. <laughs> it's just tied. And you don't even really know how it happened. And you're like, oh my God, we might get this to overtime. We might actually win this game. The plus 400 that I bet at halftime is very much live. Now it turns out, and again, this is a Justin Herbert kudos. This is not a Shane Steichen. This is not an Anthony Lynn shout out. He drives them down for the game winning field goal. Still left enough time on the clock for Denver to have a chance to tie it. And frankly, whether it was that last drive or the entire game as a whole, the Broncos would have won that game if not for Jerry Judy, right? First round wide receiver draft pick out of Alabama, big hype, et cetera, et cetera. In this class of Justin Jefferson, in this class of C.D. Lamb, and you watch those guys play and you go like game-changing wide receiver, explosive, you know, trust them on third down, trust them to go up and get a ball, trust, trust them to make a catch. Jerry Judy, sneaky, terrible this season. And really disappointing because you look at Alabama and you, whether it's the guys who are playing there now, right? Devontae Smith, Mechie, like these guys, you know, obviously, you know, injured, uh, you know, star receivers and like, they're still fine, right? Like they lose their best receiver and it's like, yeah, we still got plenty of those. Don't worry about it. And you go back in history and it's just like Julio Jones and it's like, it's insane, the roster. And so you expect every single one of these guys to be good. Even Henry Ruggs, right? Have been in and out of the lineup, but he's caught some deep balls this season. He is what he is with regards to just like a speed over the top type of guy. But what's Jerry Judy? He's a guy who drops passes at an alarming rate. And it was happening the entire game from the first quarter on. Drop pass, drop pass, smash your helmet on the sideline. Drop pass, drop pass, smash your helmet on the sideline. It's like, you know what, man? Maybe catch the ball. Maybe just take two hands and catch the ball because frankly, that's your job and you should be able to do that. And so whether it was that last drive 
where I literally gasped out loud because they hit the deep ball. It was right in his hands, and of course he didn't catch it. But whether it was that play or a touchdown pass earlier on the game that he didn't catch or a handful of other key plays, second and 10, third and 10 that he dropped, he dropped so many balls. And so I would make this bet between the just general comfort of, of fading Anthony Lynn as a favorite, knowing that everything was going to be just fine one way or another, or the opportunities that the Broncos had to win this game with just functional weaponry, if you will, right? We always talk about the weapons on the outside and like, oh, Denver, like, you know, we blame Drew Locke, right? Like Drew Locke, oh, I don't, this ain't it for Drew Locke. And maybe it's not, like I'm not defending Drew Locke here, but like we're willing to defend the Jerry Judys of the world who can't make a catch because like he was really good in college. Well, he, you know, I know he went to Alabama and I know the, you know, the pedigree here of guys succeeding from Alabama in recent times is there, right? Like Calvin Ridley, boom, another guy, just like off the top of your head, think of another guy. It doesn't mean that he's going to be a success, and it doesn't mean that he's some outstanding weapon. And so, you know, would Drew Locke's stats this year be a lot different if Jerry Judy could catch a pass, right? Would they be a lot different if his supposed to be number one guy, Cortland Sutton, was still around? So again, not defending Drew Locke necessarily, right? But again, if we get maybe these guys in the proper places here, and maybe Jerry Judy isn't the guy that we have to look for on second and third down, then maybe a guy like Drew Locke, as sort of annoying as he kind of feels like he is, maybe he's got a better chance. And I would make this bet a million times over. Now, I ended up pushing, so it's not like I'm talking some sort of craziness here. But, you know, again, is what it is. Value standpoint, if the Chargers are favorites like that against a team that's trying. Now, they may end up favorites this week against the Kansas City Chiefs and whomever the Kansas City is going to put out there. I can't imagine... You know, the thing is, with some of these games, and this is probably a worthwhile sort of thing to mention, you can get into the whole, like, oh, they're going to rest their starters, as if they have sort of 25 extra guys just lying around who can play, right? Like, of course, like, let's use Kansas City as an example. It's like, okay, Patrick Mahomes not going to play. Right, So whether they decide to go with Chad Henney in this game, whether they decide to give, I believe, Jordan Ta'amu is still on the, on the depth chart, uh, kid who played in the XFL, Ole Miss product, you know, maybe he's still on that. Maybe they want to say, okay, let's give him a game, uh, you know, first team reps, all of that sort of thing. So one, he's going to keep trying, and we also don't know that he's bad. Two, okay, so like Le'Veon Bell's probably not going to play because a veteran, he's going to sit. But Daryl Williams is still going to play, right? And, you know, as a running back, like he's still going to run hard. He's going to do all of that stuff. And then how much of the offensive line can you really sit? Because for one, like this is a team that's been pretty banged up from an offensive line standpoint. And so, okay, do you take the guys out who have been, you know, injured in the last little bit? Like Remmers, is he not going to play? Okay. And it's like, all right, well, what do we have left here? There aren't that many guys left. And what guys are left have probably played a fair amount, given how banged up the team has been. You go, okay, Tyreek Hill's not going to play. Travis Kelsey's not going to play. Okay, that's fine. But like, why wouldn't McCole Hardman still play? Right? Young enough guy, like not necessary. What did Demarcus Robinson caught a touchdown pass <laughs> this past week? He's going to play, right? He'll play in the Sammy Watkins role, which again, Sammy Watkins missed enough time that Demarcus Robinson is a guy that you've at least heard of, right? So this isn't like random dudes off the street. Now, maybe Tyron Matthew doesn't play. Maybe Chris Jones doesn't play. And that defense is really bad. And that's the situation here, I think, for Kansas City and why they're not going to win this game. But just using them as an example, it's not like you can take all 22 starters, take them off the field, and just have 22 bodies that you can still put in there, 
Like that's just not how it works. So be careful when it comes to that this week and going, oh yeah, like this time this team definitely doesn't care. They're they're not wrestling the stars. Yeah, in the case of the the Steelers, it's like, yeah, okay, we already know what Mason Rudolph is all about <laughs> and what he's potentially going to do. And if the Browns need this game, right, they're going to have a lot of their guys back that they were missing this past week. So everything's a little bit different, but again, we'll talk about that later on in the week. One last note, and it goes back to fantasy football. And I just want to sort of tell you this story because, again, most of you out there probably play fantasy football. And I just want to talk about the sort of unique situation. Not that you'll ever necessarily remember this strategy-wise, because by the time next season rolls around, you're in your finals or in your semifinals, it's all sort of long gone. But I want to tell you the story of my team. Again, uh, super boring potentially, but again, maybe there's something here for you. I have Austin Eckler. And he's a guy who, from a reputation standpoint, you make a starter. He goes in there the entire time. You know, you never take him out. Except I'm already facing a deficit here. And I already know that Austin Eckler has a certain ceiling, right? He's going to get a handful of carries. He's going to get a handful of throws. And he's almost definitely going to accumulate 80-some-odd yards cumulatively. Except for the fact that he ha- you know, he's been a little bit banged up and he hasn't been used all that much, um, as much as you know, he normally does on top of that, hasn't been used in the red zone for the last few weeks. And so I'm sitting there going like, I need a lot of points here. And a guaranteed seven, eight, ten points isn't really going to do me any good here. And I need somebody who's going to come in and maybe get a couple of touchdowns. And there's not exactly a ton of guys available on the waiver wire in order to do so. James Robinson being out for Jacksonville, though, did leave an opportunity for Dari Ngwale to come in. And he didn't end up scoring a touchdown, but he was getting the main stuff, right? The main opportunity for the Jags this week. And if you look at James Robinson, undrafted free agent guy, and is he that talented? Like maybe he is and everybody missed it, but is he that much more talented than Dari Ngumbawale? Or is it just a matter of opportunity? And so I grabbed Dare and I said, you know what? I'm putting him in because I think he's A, he's going to have opportunity to get yardage the same way that Eckler will. But he's also at least a potential for running in a one-yard touchdown, which Austin Eckler still kind of really isn't with Kalen Balaj being around, right? Or even Justin Herbert's willingness to run around the goal line. Well, it ends up not working out because sure enough, right, despite the fact not getting any looks in the red zone for the last three weeks since he's been back from injury, Austin Eckler gets a play run for him specifically to catch a pass out of the backfield and get a touchdown. So he ends up with a couple more points than Ngumbawale, who ended up with 80-some-odd yards and, again, should have had opportunities to score touchdowns if the Jags had shown up in the second half. He had 40 yards on their first drive. So it was clear he was the man. So the point is that Eckler ends up outpointing Dare because Eckler did what Eckler does, where he gets eight, nine points. In this case, it just happened to be that six of those points were on a touchdown and 30 were on, or three points were on 30 yards. So the thinking actually worked out really, really well. It just ended up that he ended up having a couple more points than Dare did, even though Dare was the lead guy, the guy who got all the carries, the guy who would have had goal line carries. The Jacksonville Jaguars just weren't able to get goal line carries. And that's in part because they were scoring. The times that they scored were from further out. They did have two touchdowns in the game, which was actually, you know, more than the Chargers had in the game. So, again, best laid plans still don't necessarily work, even though the logic makes sense going in. And even though the make the logic makes sense coming out of that game, and that's the same thing with regards to sports betting, right? It doesn't always work out, even if a sound logic going in and actually proves itself out on the field because stuff just kind of happens. 
Tomorrow's episode, Tuesday, we're going to go bowl games. Went 3-0 and on Saturday. Hope you've been following along on Twitter, at MRussAuthentic. So why not try to tarnish that perfection and talk some more bowl stuff tomorrow in tomorrow's show? Uh, the NFL lines will start to populate a little bit more um, soundly tomorrow, so we can talk about that as well. As for Wednesday, we're going to have the best of From the Window to the Screen series, where I had various guests on this year from the industry to talk about their betting life. I put the best stories from them all in one place. So another evergreen episode for you to listen to sort of whenever you want. Doesn't necessarily have to be on Wednesday, not unlike the Paul Burns show from last week. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Talking about Canadian legislation, Canadian legalization. Hopefully even if you're American, you can sort of understand you know, take something from that, whether you're in a state that is, uh, you know, fully legalized and ready to go or still waiting on it. Uh, Going to be off Thursday and Friday. They'll hope to do Sheldon's show on Thursday if he's back in the action. Uh, and then back on Sunday morning to sort everything out. Who's the pick in Survivor one week to go as, you know, Kansas City survives, Baltimore survives. And can we go 5-0 and to grab a bite of the cash in Circa? Then we're back in the new year, five days a week. NFL playoffs, NHL preview, college basketball, and some guests new and old. Quick reminder, as usual, to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Follow along at Emrus Authentic as well on Twitter. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.